If you have your copies of God's Word, I invite you to turn to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, you can find this on page 993 in your pew Bibles. 1 Timothy chapter 5, page 993. As you're turning there, just a reminder that Paul is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. Timothy's probably in his mid-30s at this point, and he's writing to Timothy, who is in Ephesus, and Ephesus had been dealing with an intrusion of false teachers. Some of them had arisen within the church, and Paul is writing to combat these false teachers with apostolic authority under the inspiration of the Spirit. To portray a true gospel community as the church that is grounded upon what Christ has done for us and evidenced in lives that are being transformed into his image. Now, last week, Pastor Chuck led us in a study of how the church, as a family of God, cares for its members, and especially, in particular, as it outlined in that chapter, in the first part of chapter 5, to widows. Well, today we come to a really helpful portion of, t- of the text in this letter. And the reason I say that is because in chapter 3 and chapter 4, the emphasis was on the qualifications, responsibilities of the elder, the deacon, the pastor to the church. In our text today, it is the obligations, responsibilities of the church to the elders. It is the other way around. And I'll, I'll have to say at the beginning here that in some ways it's a tough text because it's a little awkward as an elder preaching on how you should treat elders <laughs> in the church, so I understand that. Um, but in, on the other sense, it's, this is easy because you do this so well here. And so please be encouraged and be commended uh, for that. However, there may be areas of improvement with all of us in how we see others and how we treat others. Uh, in leadership, in particular, as our text tells us, the elders in the church. And so really this has two parts. Our text has two parts. We're going to take part two next week, Lord willing. So this morning we're only going to really focus our time on the first three verses, which is verses 17, 18, and 19. I'll read the whole text before us this morning, but we're really only going to focus on this first part, which is the positive side of honoring. How do we honor our elders here? How do we honor the positive side? Next week, the more negative. What do you do and how do you deal with unfaithful elders in the church? So both are our, our, our response or obligations to elders. But one is dealing very positively with the assumption that these are qualified, faithful elders and how we should treat those elders. On the other hand, those who persist in sin, how do we, tre- how do we deal with them? And so we'll take that, Lord willing next week. So if you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 to 25. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach, 
and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. This is God's holy inspired and inerrant word. You may be seated. I don't know if you've ever greatly admired somebody from a distance, from afar. Maybe you were impacted by somebody through a book or a sermon or some a music or something like that, and then you were finally able to meet that person. This has happened many times in my life, and I have, I'm indebted to many people who have instructed me from afar, you might say, through their writing, through listening to their preaching. And for one example of this was uh, R.C. Sproul. And I remember I came into the Reformed faith, really, I was a diehard Arminian uh, at one point in my life, and I was uh, down in my parents' basement, and I was listening to these old things called cassette tapes. And I was listening to this guy named R.C. Sproul. In fact, I, I was just kind of bored painting. And, and I looked on these shelves my parents had, and there's this one, this one uh, cassette tape, uh, I don't know, a- album or collection called Chosen by God by R.C. Sproul. I was like, what does this guy know? But I'll listen to him anyway. And I put the, started playing those cassette tapes, and I was like, whoa. He's going into the scriptures. He's going into the text. He's, this is true. And after I finished, I listened to it again. I shared it with my, my best friend at the time, Aaron Little. I was like, you got to listen to this. Well, eventually I, I met, for the first time I met uh, R.C. Sproul before he, he died, and I was able to spend some time with him. And when I first was about to meet with him, you know, he had no idea my deep gratitude for, for him. He had no idea my deep honor, respect for him and, and love for him, even though he, had n- he didn't know me from, any, from Adam. He didn't know who I was, and I was so grateful for him. I was honoring him. When I met with him, I honored him. I had deep respect. I had high regard, high esteem for him. Well, this text is teaching us that we are to have a double honor, it says, high esteem for our elders. That's what it says, to have high honor for our elders. Now, the assumption, again, let's be very clear, in these first three verses is that these elders are qualified, faithful elders, okay? These are the qualified, faithful elders. Again, we'll look at the other side next week. And it's important to see that every time, this here included, every time that you find the word elder in the New Testament, it's always in the plural. It's always in the plural. Because every church should have a plurality of elders. Now, the only exceptions to that rule, there's 63 times you see that word elders in the New Testament. The only exceptions to that rule is where Peter calls himself an elder in the passage that we looked at that, that Pastor Chuck read for us, and where John... The Apostle John calls himself an elder in the letters of John, and where you have a group of elders, and then one elder stands out as an example. In our our text, that happens in verse 20. So elders, plural, because every church should have a plurality of elders. I know it's common for churches sometimes to have maybe a board of deacons, and then one elder as the pastor. But in every instance in the New Testament, you have a plurality of elders because it's a shared leadership. There's accountability with the plurality of elders, there's, there's a uh, delegation and division of labor. There is w- shared wisdom uh, in a plurality of elders. The word elder, as you probably know, 
presbyteros in Greek. It's where we get the word Presbyterian. In fact, maybe some of you don't know this, but the Westminster Standard, the Standards, the Confession of Faith and Catechisms, they really have nothing to say about Presbyterianism. It's not a really Presbyterian document. It's actually an English document. Uh, but, but if you read through the Westminster Confession, you're not going to find much about church polity. And that's what really Presbyterianism is. I mean, it's just a way of church government. And all that means is elder-led. And so you have these elders in this church here in Ephesus leading the church. And actually, the word it uses here is ruling well. Ruling well. Paul would write, instruct the elders in Acts 14.23, that elders, plural, should be appointed, quote, in every church, in every church. An elder is in the company of other elders. So the question then, when I read this text and I thought about this, this sermon for today, I read the first line in verse 17 where it says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. I was like, okay, if we're supposed to honor elders and we're supposed to honor those who rule well, what does it mean for elders to rule well? What does that look like? Well, if you would, just for a moment, turn back to the text that Pastor Chuck read for us in 1 Peter 5. Just for a moment, 1 Peter 5, and I want you to see this. So if we are to honor faithful elders, what does a faithful elder look like? What is he supposed to be doing? Now, in 1 Timothy, we were, look, we were looking at the qualifications, but what about their actual responsibilities? 1 Peter 5, look at verse 2. He says, these elders, he exhorts the elders to shepherd Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. That idea of shepherding, if you think of an actual shepherd out with sheep, what is that shepherd doing? He is leading and guiding and feeding and sometimes disciplining. <laughs> sometimes a shepherd will protect, needs to protect the sheep as well from wolves. And actually, Paul calls the false teachers in Ephesus, back in Acts chapter 20, wolves in sheep's clothing. So they're shepherds. Elders, number two, are uh, to be about oversight, exercising oversight. That word oversight is episkopos. In Greek, that's where we get the word episcopal from. The idea is just oversight. Oversight is a function of the elder. Oversight is a function of the elder. They are to serve not under compulsion, it says, but willingly. So an elder should never be just compelled to do it, even if he doesn't want to, but willingly. He has a desire to serve in this function as an elder, as a shepherd of the flock. Not for shameful gain, it says, but eagerly. He has a desire to do it as unto the Lord. So if you're an elder in here, we have some in here this morning right now. Please hear this for you. (laughs) Be challenged. Make this a challenge for you today. Not domineering over those in your charge. This is important. This happens today where sometimes, you know, someone will preach something, will teach something, maybe confront or reprove or rebuke someone in the Lord, and that person gets immediately offended, and they run off and they put on social media that I am a victim of spiritual abuse. Now, I know that spiritual abuse happens, so I'm not making light of that. But the word for domineering here is this prideful, tyrannical rule of lording it over in their position in the church. That's what that means. We've got to be very clear 
on what domineering is and what rebuking somebody is in the church. And there to be, it says, examples to the flock. Actually, one thing is in, in, interesting, where it says not domineering those over those in your charge. Here's another reason for church membership. How do the elders know who is in their charge? Because what happens so often is that people will come in and out of churches. They date the church for a long time. They never commit, and the, and the elders don't know, who am I responsible before God to care for their souls? And when I think about those that join and commit to a church, then those elders are committed to them. And what happens so often is that those that do just date the church forever is that something bad happens in their life. They get cancer, something, they lose a loved one. And they're like, where is the help? Where is the shepherding? And the shepherds are like, are you, are you here? Are you part of our church? Are you in our charge? That's the, that's the question. So I'm not domineering over those in your charge. You know, one thing that's interesting that we do, that elders are called to do, they're responsible to do, and, and you know, we do this on occasion, especially before our, our session meetings, our elder meetings, is we will pray and anoint people that need healing. James 5, 14 says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. We do that as elders here. These are things that elders are called to do. In Acts 20, again, to that church in Ephesus, Paul would write, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Make no mistake, the church belongs to God. In fact, if you were to keep reading in that First Peter 5 passage, it says that there's a chief shepherd, a chief shepherd who will appear, which means that the elders here, and I'm looking at some of them here, the elders who are here are under, shepherd, under shepherds of that chief shepherd. He is the head of the church. No elder here is the head of the church. Thank God for that. He is the head. And this is important because we need to understand that the church is more than just the people. It is an organization. It is a divinely instituted organization. And God is a God of order, First Corinthians 14 says, not disorder. And he governs his church through his elders, his leaders. Well, in this text, in 1 Timothy, you see that there are those elders who rule. <laughs> and then it says there are some, in verse seven, end of verse 17, who labor in preaching and teaching. Okay, And this is why in our denomination, the PCA, we have a division within the eldership of ruling elders and teaching elders. And some don't like the word ruling, but it's just in the text. So ruling elders, that idea of rule in the word, in the original language there for rule, means oversight, means leadership, it means governing with authority. There is some element of authority here, spiritual authority in the church. That's a good thing. Yes, Christ is the head of the church. Hebrews 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So you elders in here, you will have to give an account before God on how you shepherd the souls of the church here at Wayside. I think sometimes people get very excited about wanting to serve as an elder. I remind them of this. <laughs> but it also says that there are some who labor. That word for laboring in 
uh, in the original, is, is a word that means to toil, to work hard until you cannot work anymore. And it's in the progressive tense, which means it's an ongoing toiling and working and laboring. And those, so it says, those are some that are laboring in this kind of toiling way in preaching and teaching is the laboring piece here. There's no room for laziness in the preacher. In fact, this person in Ephesians 4.11 is called pastor teacher. He's a pastor or shepherd teacher. Specific role within the eldership. So Pastor Chuck and I are elders here, but we're called teaching elders. We're pastors here in this in this role, and we're called to labor <laughs> in preaching and teaching. And this doesn't mean just from the pulpit. There are other times where there's Bible studies or small groups, and even, even today, people have asked, hey, I'm about to teach a Bible study, or I'm about to teach a small group. Can you help me with this passage, or understand this chapter of this book to understand so I can teach this more faithfully? So it's, it's, mo- it's more than just teaching from the pulpit, or preaching from the pulpit. There's a laboring in preaching and teaching, and that is our primary task. We could be doing counseling and other things all day long, and we would fail in our calling if we didn't preach the gospel. This is what, G- this is what Paul says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. It's our primary calling and task. James would give the warning, though, James 3.1. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness is terrifying, and it should be. So we need to honor our elders here. It says double honor, to hold in high esteem. Listen to this, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, same word, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Again, it's a little awkward for me to say this <laughs> this morning, but you do this so well. We feel that honor and that respect and that love and that support here. You do this so well. But not all churches do this. And so if you go somewhere else, this is something you might need to know when you go somewhere else as well. Another way that we can honor elders who labor in the specific ways here, it says in verse 18, look at verse 18, is by compensation. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Again, this church is very generous in this area, but you need to understand this. This is in the text here. And Paul quotes two passages, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. The Old Testament passage is from Deuteronomy chapter 25. This idea, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. The idea is that you would have an ox up on a hill typically, And they would throw the grain out, and he would tread around on the grain, and the wind on top of the hill would would blow the chaff away. But the the idea is that he would be fed from his work, the the, the ox. (laughs) The ox would be fed from his work. And if the ox is fed from his work, and God cares for the ox to be fed in that way, so shall the elder who labors. That's the idea. And then he quotes, this is fascinating to me, he quotes Luke 10, verse 7. Notice what it says, though, in verse 8, or 18. Look at verse 18. For the scripture says, and then he quotes his friend Luke. You get that? He calls Luke's writing, the gospel of Luke, scripture. Luke 10, verse 7. Sending out, and of course there, he's sending out the 72 to preach the gospel. 
Uh, but he says the laborer deserves his wages. So as they're going out and they're preaching the gospel and going to homes, he says they should care for you materially. He deserves the wages. You're out on a job. You've got a mission. You've got a task deserving of your wages. Even the word honor in verse 17, even the word honor in other places in the New Testament, that word honor is translated price. So, for example, in Matthew 27, 9, or in 1 Corinthians 6, 20. So in 1 Corinthians 16, it says, you've been purchased at a price, bought at a price. That word price is the same word, time, that's here for honor. It's actually where we get the word honorarium. So sometimes maybe if you go and do something, you get an honorarium for going and doing that. So we get that idea. Sometimes that word time is translated as proceeds, financial proceeds, like in Acts 4 and 5, or financial value in Acts 19. So that word honor not only is respect, but it has the nuance throughout the New Testament of carrying something of actual tangible effects. Again, this church is very generous, but here's why I say this. Because there's a lot of people in other churches that, and I know these pastors, and you know, they're the basic message that the church gives to their those who labor in preaching and teaching is, well, because you're in the ministry, we should keep you poor. Well, listen to this. First Corinthians nine eleven. If we have sown spiritual things among you, it is too much is it too much to reap material things? From you, Verse 14, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Now, I'll be the first to say they shouldn't go the other way either. And Paul's going to deal with this in chapter 6, of having this lavish, you know, ostentatious kind of lifestyle either. I get that. And even Paul himself would say, at times I'm in adversity, but other times I'm in prosperity. Either way, I've learned the art or the secret of being, what? Content. Galatians 6, 6, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches, on and on. This is a biblical reality. And so for those who would say we shouldn't pay those in ministry or something, it's just frankly unbiblical. It's just unbiblical. Now, we can refuse it. That's another issue. Paul did because he didn't want to be an issue with the church at Corinth. There was a specific issue why he refused it, but he still went through the whole, almost all of chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he's detailing why that should be the case of compensation. Again, this church is very generous to my family, to Pastor Chuck, his family as well. So, but you need to know this. This is a biblical instruction. Here's a third and final way that we can honor elders. Pro- is ensuring their proper protection and treatment against false accusation. I'm fully aware, and it is a sad reality, that pastors, elders, have committed heinous and horrible sins. And it gets publicized all over. And some pastors and elders have hidden up and tried to cover up scandal and abuse in the church. We're going to deal with all of that next week, Lord willing. But there's also times where there's false accusations made trying to destroy maybe an elder, his ministry, or his reputation, Satan would like nothing more than to destroy the, the reputation or the ministry of a faithful, godly, qualified elder. And part of this we see in verse 19, this last verse. 
He says, do not admit, do not admit a charge against an elder except the evidence of two or three witnesses. So make sure that charge is substantiated before you start publicizing that. Be very careful in how you proceed with that, is what he's saying. Do not admit. The word for admit there is do not receive it. Do not acknowledge it. Do not take that in, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Of course, he's going back to Deuteronomy chapter 19 there. In the law, it would have two or three witnesses to ensure that being substantiated. Again, we need to be very careful in this area because if it is substantiated, there is some stark warnings. So you elders in here, there are stark warnings. Verse 20 is an example of that. Again, we'll spend more time on that next week, but I've seen this recently happen. A minister being defraught from ministry because of a something in his life, persistent sin, and it was made very public, and he was rebuked in the presence of all. So there is a... <laughs> It's a strong warning in this as well. But there's, we still should seek to maintain the reputation and the ministry of faithful elders and be about their protection, even here at Wayside. Okay, let me give you a, a few takeaways from this text. Things for you to consider in your own heart. Maybe, maybe you're doing all of these well, but maybe there's areas that I can improve. I know I can improve in these areas in my fellow elders here. Number one, pray for your elders. Please pray for your elders. Pray for wisdom in making decisions that are in accordance with God's word. Pray for godliness in their lives, Christ-likeness. Pray for God's blessing upon their labors in ministry, that as the word would go out, that God would bless his word and save and sanctify his people. Pray for protection against Satan. First Peter passage that we read in chapter 5, it's like he's a roaring lion prowling around, seeking someone to destroy. Who might Satan want to destroy more than others? He says if you strike the sheep, or you strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. So pray for your elders. Number two, encourage your elders. Encourage your elders. If you're a member here, you have a shepherding elder, encourage your shepherding elder. How can you do that? Showing respect, obedience, loving support, protection against false accusations. But here's the greatest encouragement to me, I know, and, I'm, and others, other elders here. The greatest encouragement to me is when you're walking with the Lord. That's, my, that's the greatest encouragement to me. When you are growing in Christ, when you are pursuing Him, when you are coming to worship with eager expectation to learn and to sing His praises and to commune with Him in prayer, that's the greatest encouragement. So encourage your elders by pursuing Christ. And number three, provide for your elders. You are already doing that. Give them your support. Serve helping them. If they're seeking to do something in the church and have a, a plan or a vision here to come alongside in providing and supporting them. I'm going to close by reading just a couple verses from Revelation 5. Because when I think of the role of an elder here, at Wayside, and even overseeing the worship of God each Lord's Day. This is just a foretaste of, of what's to come. Because when we think about what's to come in Revelation 5, it is the elders there who represent the people of God 
in worship. And actually, in just that one chapter, five times, it talks about the elders falling down and worshiping the Lamb because there was weeping in heaven. (laughs) There was weeping in heaven in this moment before they saw that Christ himself would open up the scrolls and fulfill the plan of God. And he turned and he would see there's a lamb. And he sees this lamb and it says that the elders, it was the elders who fell down and worshipped the lamb. And the elders holding that harp as a representative of, of the worship. And it says the elders holding those golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, representing the people of God before the Lamb, and they would sing this new song, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And the very last verse of that chapter says, And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. My prayer is that our elders here at Wayside would recognize that they also would fall down and worship, that they would recognize that there is a chief shepherd, a chief elder of our souls, an overseer of our souls. And in leading us, may we be grateful for our elders, but in leading us in this area of selflessness, of servant-heartedness, may we all reflect that in our own lives. Let's pray together. Oh God, we do thank you for the chief shepherd and overseer of our souls, the Lord Jesus, who by his stripes, by his wounds, we've been healed. And God, we do pray for our elders here at Wayside. We do pray that they would walk closely with you, that you would protect them from the evil one, that you would give them wisdom, that as they seek to serve you and using their gifts for the building of the body of Christ, here at Wayside, Lord, that you would bless their labors. God, we do pray for us as a church, Lord, we would know how best to encourage and support them in our lives, Lord, that even as we seek to follow Christ as pilgrims that belong to him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.